Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Iway with Jamila Jamel, a podcast that if it could, it would shove a grenade right up the arsehole of the concept of shame. How are you? I'm all right. I've had a little bit of a break from the news. I just needed to. It was getting too much. It was getting too sad and depressing. And I do feel better for it. And maybe that's selfish, or maybe you want me to be speaking about every single hot topic in the world. But I'm afraid sometimes that's just going to have to be tough shit. And I mean that with all of the love in my heart. Because for me to be sustainable in what is a very long fight, I have to take little breaks. And so do you. So maybe you could look at this as your signal and your reminder to take a fucking break and to switch off and to not feel that you have to see everything and read everything and hear everything and think everything and talk about everything all the time. You can just have a little rest. Slowly but surely over the years, I've started to do that more and more as I've realized that there's a real implication upon our brains neurologically when we read such stressful and distressing and scary shit all the time. The reason why I chose today's guest for this week is because I think that she is such a loving and warm speaker. I think this episode just feels like a sort of supportive best friend, a, a cuddle and a fuzzy warm embrace of a chat. I really like Alex Light and I like the presence that she has on Instagram. I like how unpretentious she is. I like how blunt she is. I love how open she is about her own story through her own struggles with her body, with eating disorders, with dieting. She's such an open book and she really, really, really utilizes her own experience in order to try her best to help others to stop them, similarly to me, to stop them from going through everything that she has needlessly had to endure because of the disgusting diet industry and patriarchal media. In this episode, we talk about her eating disorder journey. We talk about how normal it is for recovery to be slow. We talk about specifically how ineffective dieting is for weight loss and where the myth of dieting even comes from. We talk about all the physical ramifications of dieting, both of which she and I have experienced over the years, even 10 years after recovery. And we talk about weight gain and why it is okay and how even if it feels scary, sometimes it can bring about the best period of your life as we have both found as two people who are much heavier than we were when we were at the lowest point of our eating disorders. She has a new book out. It's called You Are Not a Before Picture, which is such a lovely title. It's out now in the UK and it will be out in the US in August. And it's a book, and this is an episode as well, that you can enjoy yourself, but also might be really handy to send to someone who hasn't had these conversations and these thoughts before. It's a wonderful, passionate and and kind 
introduction to no longer being gaslit by the media that it is normal for us to hate ourselves just over the way that we look. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would love to hear what you think. Thank you for all of your amazing letters about last week's episode. What a stunning display of facts, figures and passion from our guest. And I send you all of the love in the world. I hope you're resting and I hope you really enjoy the lovely Alex Light. Alex Light, welcome to IWA. How are you? I'm good, Jamila. I'm really good. I'm so excited to be here. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to have you here. And I've been following you online for a while. We we kind of work in a similar space, especially anti-diet culture. And there is this gross Mm. underbelly of social justice and activism and uh, advocacy in which some people... Uh, compete, <laughs> which I've spoken for years about on this podcast right. that makes me feel really uh, unhappy and confused. And yeah. I really love having people on here who are in the same fight as me, because without each other, we're never going to win this mammoth fight against the beast that is diet culture. And so I love yeah, all your work. Totally. And I think that you are a brilliant voice. Uh, and I feel so Happy to be here to celebrate your new book that has just come out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I do have to say as well, and I said this to you the other day on, on the phone in the little pre-recording, is that you you say that um, about like supporting other women in this space. And they are, that is not, they are not empty words at all because you have for a few years now, like genuinely supported me both offline and online. So I really, yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you so much for that and it's so nice that you really do like those are not empty words like you practice like what you preach it's really good well thank you for all the work you're doing because it's not easy and it comes with a lot of responsibility and it comes with I mean you specifically have you used your own story and been so incredibly open with everyone in order to not validate your work, but to help people understand mm. that you do get this on a very real fundamental level. This isn't you just using yeah. a subject as a hot topic. This is something that you have lived through and probably are still living through. I mean, you yourself, do you mind us talking a little bit about your own journey with your body and with food? Absolutely. Could you take me through the beginning of like, you know, like, were you okay with, with food as a child? When did this start that you started to become aware of your body and aware of, uh, or started to develop an odd relationship with food? Mm. So I, well, yeah, I mean, I was born in the 80s and then grew up in the late 80s, 90s. And for anyone that also did, um, diet culture was rife and very prevalent and pervasive. And I was aware from a very, very early age that my body was something was was a sort of social currency. And that sounds weird to think at like, you know, the age of you know, before you even hit 10, that you can sense that, but you really can. And Mm. especially growing up in a really diet culture heavy environment. So I think from the moment that I knew that food manipulated how my body looked and if I restricted it, I would be thinner. And I was gathering from, from a lot of information around me that thinner was better. Um, 
so so probably from the age of 11, really, I started dieting, which it, it does sound shocking, but I think probably a lot of people listening to this will... I was the same. That will resonate with them, but it's also, really. That's also late now. Like, all the work I've yes. been doing lately with yeah. charities is showing that kids as young as four are now starting to wow. develop eating disorders. We're seeing children wow. of, of all genders um, starting to develop body dysmorphia and a wow. fear of food, like orthorexia, as young as four and five yeah. years old. So it's just fucking out of control. It's crazy young. I know. It's crazy young. Um, But yeah, I was always like chubby for for lack of a better word. I never know how to describe it, but I wasn't fat. um, And I also wasn't thin. I was, yeah, kind of chubby. And I really, I felt like the odd one out. You know, I developed breasts before anyone else and it was like mortifying. I absolutely despised it. And I just wanted to make my body smaller. Like I was very aware that smaller was better. Did you did you wear like four sports bras? Because I did. Literally. Like I yeah. I actually wrote a, like an apology, an ode to my breasts publicly about ten years Love ago that. because of everything I'd done trying to make them smaller. And how annoying yeah. it is that now, like, big is all the fucking rage, isn't it? <laughs> Classic. I know, I know. I would buy the minimizer bras from M&S. Right. <laughs> because I'd say to my mum, I don't like them. You know, everyone's looking at them. Everyone's intrigued by them. I want to be, I want to disappear. Like, I don't, I want to be invisible. I don't want anyone looking at me. So I used to buy the minimizer. And then I, I even, when I found, I don't think I actually told anyone this, but I used to bind them as well when I was yeah, old enough same. to sort of know what that was. Yeah. Cause I just wanted them gone. I just hated them and I, and I didn't want any eyes on me. Um, so I, I dieted, I tried every diet under the, literally, you name it, I tried it. And for probably 10 years or so, I was just diet, on and off a diet, never, never a day without a diet. Or if it was, it was a cheat day, you know? Um, and then in my early 20s, I joined, I started as a journalist um, and I was doing fashion and beauty journalism. And I was suddenly immersed in this very glamorous world that was even more so of the of the belief that thin was the ultimate thing that you could be. The most at any glamorous. cost. At any cost. And, yeah, the more, yeah. and the more you did and the more there were sort of two camps of that, right? There was the more you did uh to achieve ultimate thinness the more discipline you were considered to have and like it kind of felt like iconic like an iconic to only eat lettuce like if you know we would hear like rumors of what Anna Winter wouldn't eat and we would think right that's you know because she's got discipline she's uh you know she cares and then there was this other camp of people that have kind of re-emerged now um that would pretend they eat loads but are secretly starving themselves and there was the kind of big quote-unquote metabolism brag of the 90s which fucking winds me up because (laughs) it's it's almost it's almost worse to then gaslight women about your size and pretend you would like it's such a weird brag to brag about having a fast metabolism which is very like I don't mean to sound like a judgy asshole but it was very like pick me because men have set right. patriarchy have set the standard of we want women to be impossibly thin and tiny and look really defenseless but we also want them to be fun to go out for dinner with so we want the girl who can eat like a horse but looks like a right. safety pin right and the effort isn't glamorous right you don't want to see behind the exactly you know, yeah and so sure. we kind of oscillate between the two and I've definitely yeah. did that as a teenager I remember we all did it's just well I, I remember upsetting. you know in interviewing like actresses and or or you know just celebrities and saying 
And that's the kind of thing that I asked, because that's the kind of thing that we just did ask back then, like mm. in magazines, like, how do you stay in shape? How do you maintain your figure? Like, how do you stay so slim? And inevitably, the answer would be like, I drink loads of water. I've got a really fast metabolism and, or it's my genes. Literally, like they, they would be the three answers. Or like occasionally someone would say like, oh, I do hikes. Like I go on hikes, you know. Yeah. But yeah, which is... It's a weird one though, like, isn't it? Because that was the backlash to to in the decade before that people being like oh I um, eat 600 calories a day you know like we went through a huge period of actresses and supermodels glamorizing eating like genuine like daily starvation so then because there was a backlash against that everyone went the other way and suddenly you had pictures of like an emaciated Nicole Ritchie and Paris Hilton eating these cheeseburgers bigger than their heads and then that became the brag and so I hope we're starting to kind of, I feel like we are starting to settle into a more realistic-ish. No, you're rolling your eyes. That's no, I'm okay. No. I'm wrong. No, I'm wrong. That's fine. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I would like, I would like, I would love to agree with you. And I hope that that's true. I, I get so confused because in this world that we're in, I find that I'm, I often realise that I'm in a bubble. You know, yeah. I'm, I've curated my space so well that I feel like everyone feels and thinks the same as me. And then suddenly I realise they don't and I'm snapped, you know, snapped out of this bubble. But I do, I do think that we're getting to a better place. I, I think like all the, I've seen loads of head, headlines at the moment, like thin is back in and the 90s thin trend is coming back. And I uh. do think there will always be, I know. I mean, no, I know, no, no, I not think, uh, to thin people, by the way, like there might be people listening to no. this who feel extremely under represented right now because maybe they're trying to gain weight because this is a world where you're also supposed to have certain curves that some people don't naturally have and they are naturally extremely thin I know people like that we do not mean to leave you out but we are just talking about an epidemic a crisis of eating disorders and that's why we're focusing on that and we're not saying uh about anyone who's thin it's just more the idea that a trend of any body type another one is coming in and one that truly like destroyed the lives of an entire generation literally Literally. And, you know, and, and, and often like people herald the Kardashians as bringing in, you know, curvy ideals. And but even I, I mean, it's, it's different because that is that is sort of that created new unattainable ideals. Because it was that the was, tiny waist but, and the thin legs and thin right, arms and, with big breasts and, and big buttocks. Exactly. So obviously a lot of people then resorted to surgery, whereas yeah, back then it was just plain old eating disorders, like nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, right? That mm. was that was my that was pizza. my mantra. <laughs> I know. <laughs> everything, literally everything. <laughs> when was it that you started to because I, I imagine all this time you're not thinking about this as an eating disorder, right? You're just thinking about this as what everyone else is doing and like a natural, yeah. like a norm, it's very hyper-normalized. When was it that you actually got the diagnosis of anorexia nervosa and, and yeah. what brought that on? So it was, so, so yeah, in my early twenties and then joining this, this, this new world and just, you know, I, I discovered juice dieting, which was all the rage at that time. Yeah. So then it was like a, a couple of years later, really, that then I, my mum was like, we're getting help for this. Like, this is, this has gone way too far. We're getting help and marched me to a psychiatrist, which was, which was really lucky that I had insurance at the time, medical insurance through work, because 
I mean, it's dire, you know, the NHS trying to get any help for eating disorders is really dire. So I was really lucky that I had private insurance. And yeah, I got the diagnosis of anorexia nervosa, but it didn't, it didn't actually stop there. And I think that's, that's something that I really try and, and reiterate a lot is that, you know, I think a lot of what we hear is like, oh, I had anorexia or I had bulimia and then I managed to get some help. I identified what it was and then I got mm. better. And that is not the case for so many people. Like quasi recovery is a thing for like a huge amount of people. And for me, um, then wait, were, into- you, were you explain to me what quasi recovery means? Sorry, because I'm a bit thick. <laughs> Yeah. So just, you know, like you're, you're getting therapy, you know, you've got, you've been diagnosed with an eating disorder, you're in active recovery, but you're not, you're not there by any means. It kind of morphs into something else. And for me, it then morphed into bulimia and then ultimately binge eating disorder. And so that that lasted for quite a while. It was a good sort of six years, really maybe even seven years of just these like this confusing like carousel of eating disorders that was just crazy and I I just want to throw in just quickly um regarding the juice diet just because sometimes you run the risk of even if you talk about a diet you did even if you're saying it was shit and bad for you someone listening could be like but it worked yeah so maybe I'll try it I would like to now just jump in and reiterate that I also tried the juicing diet and here are some of the many things that went wrong my uh gallbladder got completely fucked by doing it uh irrevocably um I also ballooned after I stopped the juice diet because yeah. your body is used yeah. to only liquids and uh, and it's not sustainable and you you truly can't mm. maintain that for a long period of time and so I put on weight so fast that it was dangerous for my heart after mm. the juice diet um, and also uh, my blood sugar levels were insane because I was only having this kind of sugar water every single day and my teeth got really fucked up by the whole thing and then also yeah. my digestive system took like six years to recover afterwards because your body has this thing called peristalsis which is the muscle movement that pushes everything through your uh, small and large digestion and it is vital to being able to shit (laughs) and digest and do all these important things that I no longer was able to do because my body was like well she's just drinking liquid so we're just not going to need to use the the bowels very much so that was also extremely uncomfortable oh my god that's so zero out of ten would not recommend just to absolutely anyone yeah and it's so antisocial and unfriendly. Health. So I just wanted to clarify that as someone yes. who's tried every diet under the fucking sun and maybe new ones <laughs> that haven't even like been written books about yet. I, uh, I strongly advocate against. But anyway, sorry, I just wanted to jump yeah. in to make sure we do no, some good housekeeping. For sure, for sure. Because I don't want to seem like I'm glamorizing it in any way. Because no, actually you weren't. That, you I know, just wanted to explain how shit. Yeah. <laughs> the shitless so diet. So shit. Of, shit. <laughs> of juicing. All right. So, so you went into quasi recovery, which is really interesting to hear you talk yeah. about. And also like the statistics show that something like 66% of people will never fully recover from in an eating disorder. Only like at best a third yeah. of people will ever make a full recovery. And even that feels a little bit unrealistic to me from what I've seen out in the world. Everyone yeah. I know still has a bit of a weird relationship with food, but, um, mm. but 66% we're talking about almost 70% here will never fully recover. And mm, that isn't taken crazy. seriously enough. 30% it's of those not. will probably die or have full anorexia forever or bulimia, yeah. etc. It's not, it's not, it's not taken as seriously and it's not, it's just not shown enough and not talked about enough, I don't think, because when I was 
diagnosed and, and I sought out all these uh, YouTube videos and like books and everything that I could find about anorexia or eating dis- eating disorder stories. And in every single one, it was like thin, young, white girl gets sick, <laughs> gets help and recovers. Like that was always it. There was never an alternative narrative to that. And that just then adds another layer of pressure to you and another another uh sense of like well I failed then because mm. now it's turned into bulimia now I'm purging so you know I and, and I'm and I'm putting on tons of weight as well this wasn't supposed to happen all these books that I read and all these videos that I watch when people recover they you know stick at a healthy weight and at that time gaining weight was still like the truly the worst thing that could happen that mm. I felt like could happen to me at the time it was horrifying so I always embrace people like talking more honestly about their recovery and hearing recovery stories that aren't like picture perfect so what is this shit about thin coming back in I've seen the very low rise skirts and jeans yeah, I, th- and I thought I think... that was going to be trouble. And we've just seen a bunch of movie, like yeah. movie stars at the MTV Awards in like sort of pube line jeans and skirts who don't have an inch right. to pinch. And I yeah. like, it feels reminiscent of the noughties in a way that scared the shit out of me. What I like about your book and, and it's, it's called, it's called You Are Not A Before Picture. And I think that's a wonderful title and it's a wonderful sentiment mm. is that it feels like a very step-by-step practical guide to actual tangible unpicking of the problem and hopefully mm. potential recovery. I'm never guaranteeing anyone recovery from a book, but I'm just saying that yeah. it feels as though what I like is the way that you've mapped out the book is starting at the genesis of diet culture. And I've learned some fascinating yeah. facts, like the first ever diet and where the word diet comes from, et cetera, which I, yeah. I want to talk to you about. But I um, I really appreciate that it feels like a step-by-step guide to the way out of the darkness. Yeah. So do you know what I, th- I think it was for me is that my channel for, uh, you know, for the past few years has centered around body confidence and anti-diet culture. And I was doing a lot of the body love stuff and body confidence, like look at my body, which is, you know, by not marginalized by any means, but it doesn't fit the the very narrow societal standard of beauty. And I love that stuff and I loved doing that stuff. And I think it's super important and necessary because, you know, so, so many people have never seen themselves or their bodies represented. Mm-hmm. But for me, it felt like there was always something missing And I think I worked out that it felt like that saying, oh, your body is good enough as it is, give it the respect that it deserves. And, you know, here's me owning mine was treating a symptom rather than the root of the problem, which is, of course, like diet culture and fat phobia and the patriarchy, which which links or which underpins all of those things. So. I, I wanted to get to the root of these issues to like understand and, and also to help and be other people understand like why we don't like our bodies and why we believe that we need to be smaller because it's not innate, you know, I think. So why, why I, is it? Because there is a billion dollar and I, I always forget the, the the damn figure. I think it's $72 billion. I actually don't quite I mean, the diet industry globally in your book is $192.2 billion. There you go. There you go. That's it. I'm terrible with numbers. Terrifying. Yeah. And that's what it, that's what it comes down to. Like a lot of people have a lot of money to make off 
us trying to change our bodies because trying to change our bodies is really difficult and we require external help with that in the form of products and which obviously equals money so that's at the root of it and everything that you know is is built on top of that and and I just I just think it's 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 so interesting to learn that this stuff is not innate that there's just there's a history of a huge rich history of diet culture and conditioning that has culminated in this collective belief that we need to be smaller and it's because it's because it makes a lot of people a lot of money This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iway today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iway. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. It was really fascinating learning in your book uh, because I never looked into it, but that the word diet comes from the Greek dieta, um, which, and its original meaning is a way of living. And it's so it's not supposed to be right. like this restrictive weight loss regimen. And that is yeah. exactly how we should look at the way we eat. It should be a way of living that is sustainable, that is um, satiating and nourishing and 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 not this kind of emergency 
speed approach to weight loss. That's what's so fucked up is when I think of the word diet, I never think of sustainable way to live. I always think of some sort of um, oppressive, fast, uh, restrictive and painful sort of like punishment period. And that's such a shame. And they do that deliberately because speed diets always, 95% of speed diets fail. That's an insane statistic for us to still have a growing diet industry. For them to have that statistic and find out that only 5% of these, of people who ever do these restrictive diets ever manage to continue on with them. Right. Wild. that statistic is challenged a lot in the in the fitness space and in the diet space. Mm-hmm. And I delve I really delved into that in the book because I was like, you know, anecdotal evidence aside, because I think we can all say that diets don't work. Like as yeah. someone who tried and you, like yeah. every single diet going. Yeah, I'm an Olympic existed, gold medalist. They don't work. In this. Yeah. Right. But I was like, I want something more than anecdotal evidence. And actually there's a a plethora of research and evidence around the fact that diets just do not work. But obviously that statistic is bad for people who, who serve to make money off of people wanting to diet. So that's often challenged and, and poo pooed as a statistic, which really, really irritates me because God, I can say with, with absolute certainty that diets do not work. I don't know anyone who's ever like succeeded to maintain something that unlivable and it's and it's deliberate they deliberately want I know I always go like full tin hat when I say this but they deliberately set us up for failure because then we'll fall off the wagon and then we'll need a new diet and a new diet book and a new diet app and a new influencer to fucking follow in order to and a new product and a new laxative to be able to get back on this like proverbial bullshit wagon and right. so it's 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 a specific anything that has a fad anything that is super restrictive you should be extremely wary of because it has been designed for you to fail so that the market can continue to grow they never want to put themselves out of business and as soon as they exactly. were to back something like intuitive eating or increased fun exercise as soon as they did that there'd be no more there'd be no more multi-billion dollar industry. $192 billion. Jesus fucking Christ. I know, I know. And you know, like when I was, when I was writing about this, about diets, something struck me that I was like, I can't believe that this has never, ever struck me before. But if diets worked, then we would all, you know, because we were born to want to go up, to want to be thinner, we would all only ever go on one and then that would be it. One and done. We'd do the diet, it would work and then we'd never have to go on one Mm -hmm. again. But there is like... Come on, there's like, there's something here. The reason, the, the fact that people are chronic dieters and flip from diet to diet and nothing ever seems to work that, yeah. Sorry, I get very het up about this because. No, there wouldn't be 600 just, different resent, ones if any of them fucking work. Right. And I resent how much time and energy and capacity, mental capacity that women especially waste mm-hmm. on these things because you know as well as, well as I do, like how much they just zap from your life. And I just, I just resent that. There's also like a really scary rise of fasting apps that I've been talking about on the podcast for a while, yeah. um, which are just so fucking, so fucking dangerous. And I know there are certain yeah. influencers online who swear by fasting. Now, these people have got a, like maybe they're not very well and they don't know it yet, but B, more importantly, they have often the money and access to be able to have people who can regularly take their bloods, who can oversee their nutrition, who can oversee their overall health. It is so fucking scary and dangerous to know that there are teenagers who have no access to informational healthcare, uh, who are then going to try this stuff that should be so medically supervised and probably not done at all. Right. Right. 
And TikTok is full of these, these intermittent fasting ads and videos about them and reviews. And it's just, it's rife. And there's no, uh, I, as far as I'm aware, like the last time I looked and really researched this, there's no science on intermittent fasting and its efficacy in weight loss. I mean, essentially, you're just not eating. <laughs> you're, that, that's that's all it is. You're just you're you're not eating. No, you're uh, actually so you're actually really fucking with your um, endocrine system because when you right. stop eating, your body's not thinking about how great you're going to look in your jeans. Your body's thinking, "Fuck, we're in starvation mode." Like we haven't evolved in two thousand years. We don't care about trends on a fundamental physiological right. level, right? So your body, your so your um your body goes into panics. It thinks you're starving, and it starts conserving mm. energy whenever it can. But also, it now goes into stress. So this stress means that your cortisol levels rise. When your cortisol levels rise, your insulin rises to match your cortisol levels, just because you have so much adrenaline going your body because your body thinks that you're in significant trouble um so you are mm. fucking with your insulin levels you are fucking with your blood glucose and you are panicking your body regularly and stress is proven to not only have a bad impact on your your whatever your metabolism but on your entire state of being on your immune system at large it's a very fucking right. dangerous thing to mess around with in the long term and making yourself susceptible to binge eating as well because we know that restriction is the number one predictor of of binge eating so mm. which is a very very dark place to be in so yeah it's just it's it's, it's wild the things that people will come up with but what's really good about your book delving into like the history of diet culture the depths of the dark dark mm. depths of the diet industry the way in which the mm. media like willfully collude because i think a lot of people don't realize how much the media is funded by the diet industry i mean that's yeah. why i get shot on a lot by the media is because i'm a huge threat to them because they mm. are like most of the diet most of the ads you see now on women's media specifically is mm. often diet companies diet companies fitness apps fasting apps all of that so yeah they are very invested in it. And so I think what's cool about the way that you are, you know, making sure to in a very accessible way unpack the actual system helps us do what I think we most need to do, which is not access some, un, like some godlike level of resilience to this diet culture that's all around us. It's like extremely unrealistic. But what we can mm. do is take that challenge of being forced to feel like shit about ourselves. And instead of, just trying to rise above it we need to get mad we need to get angry about it we need to be proactive in that rage the best turning yeah. point for my whole eating disorder recovery was when I would find that I would get angry when I would see a diet ad I wouldn't feel yeah. guilty I wouldn't allow that near myself I would as mm. soon as I would feel it coming towards me and penetrating me I would then bat it away with how fucking dare the fact that there are probably yeah. it's almost always a bunch of men at the top of these companies a group of men who have found it acceptable to find a way to manipulate me into feeling ashamed of myself so I will buy their fucking product and put money in their bank that they'll probably use to go and buy some nice food Right. While they're not worrying exactly. about their fucking bodies. Exactly. And so whenever I contextualize it like that for myself, then I find this like fight in me. And that fight is the only way I think I've been able to like truly, fully, finally brush off my, yeah. the, the last of a 20 something year eating disorder. 
Right. And we should be angry about it. Exactly. We should be angry about all the, like the aforementioned, like I, you talked about the, the mental capacity, the, the time, the energy, everything, how your social life suffers, your career suffers, everything, all in this, in this like arbitrary pursuit to. But not just what shit about it. Who fucking, who is making money from this? Like, I, I think we need to start naming them. I think we need to start showing them. I think we need right. to start shaming them, considering they've right. spent so many decades shaming us. I really think like now, okay, we've gone through body love, body acceptance. We're, we're doing body diversity. There still isn't anywhere near enough disability inclusion yet. So mm. we still need to work on that. We're doing like anti-diet culture in a way that's mostly about warning everyone about how dangerous these things are. We now need yeah. to elevate this to actually go after the specific companies yeah. that are and, profiting and off our pain. Exactly. And knowledge is power. Like it's so powerful to know why we feel the way we do about our bodies. And I agree with you. Like, and I, I get angry a lot in my content. I get angry about you know, and, and we spoke about this when you came on my podcast, you know, with the whole like calling out thing. And I'm always trying to strike the balance between, you know, is this person just, uh, you know, it's the system that's failed her. Like I shouldn't really be going after her, blah, blah, blah. But I, I, I do, I get angry about a lot of this and, and people say, oh, you know, don't get angry. It's not that deep. It just, you know, Let's just live in a world where like we can love our bodies and forget it, blah, blah, blah. But, and, and that would be, that is an ideal world where we all, well, not love our bodies, but we're neutral about our bodies, where how our bodies look don't impact how we live and don't impact our lives. But we don't live in that world at the moment. We, li we live in a world that is, that is screaming at us to hate our bodies and to dislike our bodies and to fix our bodies. So we have to bridge that gap. And for me, that means more people being angry about it and speaking up about it and not just thinking, oh, well, you know, let's, you know, let, let people do what they want to do. Just focus on yourself. Like, I just don't believe that. I think we need to be galvanised into action. It's also important to like strike the balance. You know, I have to constantly walk this line because obviously I'm quite aggy uh, online and I will call people out, but making sure that we walk the line between yes some individuals for example the kardashians like can be massive perpetuators of diet culture and you know double agents the patriarchy blah, blah 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 but it's also important to not allow the media to turn it into an individual being responsible for an industry yes. that existed long before they came along like industry that they are definitely impacted by emotionally themselves and they've been bullied about right. the way they look and bullied about their weight so while right. i do try to like always be like hey don't lose 16 pounds in two weeks for a dress, please, uh, everyone. I'm also not yeah. in any way holding her responsible for the mess of the world. And she's definitely probably been a victim of that herself. It's just a matter of we sure. need to like find a way, like I've had to like mm, neutralize myself in how I talk about any individual who represents a big thing without making, while making sure that we do not say that they are representative of the entire system or right responsible for the entire system i mean again coming back to i'm in such a bu bubble that i've got no perspective on this i feel like i can't see the wood for the trees on this you know i mean i feel like there's enough of us outraged and wanting something different to what we've been fed you know force fed by the media but do you think there is enough of us to make to actually make the change no i no, don't not yet I'm but not that's sure. why no. we're doing these podcasts to get more yeah. soldiers like, I don't yeah. think we're there yet. And I do think we're up against a struggle of the fact that 
these fucking men who own these fucking platforms have fucking found a new generation to fucking poison. And so we're all needed more than ever. And now we have to be louder than ever. And we have to not be so uncool about it. It becomes counterculture (laughs) to starve yourself again. Um, Obviously, (laughs) I know that I'm guilty (laughs) in that area of being deathly uncool. Um, But we have to, we have to just keep going on about it. And we have to bring facts Mm. and figures. And we, we might not be able to, to only, this is what I mean about, we need to attack the actual industry in and of itself, because Mm. it might take exposing that in full to help the next generation realise it's really not worth mm. it and you really are participating in something that is looking to only take you down, ruin your life mm. and keep you in prison. God, yeah. So Literally, I, I think that's what it prison. is. Yeah, it's a mental prison. Yeah. It's a mental prison. It's also yeah. a physiological prison, as I know now. Yeah. You know, and then, especially in places like America and the increasing privatisation of the UK, the medical industry benefits from your mm. health being bad. Because then they get right. more business. It's all business. Your body is a business in every capacity. So yeah. are you going to take it into your own hands to mm. now allow that to just be your body as your personal being, you know, your mm. engine that you look after yourself and no one else interferes? Yeah. Oh, I hope so. I, I hope think so. I think it's totally possible. I think it's totally yeah. possible. And I have so much faith in the next generation. We just have to... We have we have got to make them realise what we did to be able to fit into those fucking nineties clothes and to look grunge nineties thin. Right. We've just got to be as transparent as possible. Now is not the time for metabolism yeah. bragging, girls. We need to be <laughs> yeah, honest. Exactly. We need to warn them. We need to scare them. We need to tell them how long we went with between yeah. shits in our twenties. <laughs> like <laughs> Oh my god, like Terrible weeks. farts. <laughs> terrible farts. No one tells you. No one tells you about the eating disorder farts. They're terrible. Chaos. Yeah. Terrible. Evil. <laughs> the whole thing is terrible. Like I, I remember I remember doing the Atkins diet and someone saying to me your skin looks gray and I did it I I I looked gray they said your skin looks like the color of like off bread and it really did I got a few comments on my breath I got yeah metal breath yeah just just awful also just constantly accidentally vomiting in your own mouth while you're just trying to have a conversation like no one talks about any of this (laughs) like it is the most the irony that it has been turned into a glamorous thing when it is the most unglamorous thing on earth i can't think of a more unglamorous yeah. part of my entire life than what it has taken to try to be thin enough to look glamorous right and i can't believe actually... i even still have an asshole honestly like it's just <laughs> remarkable that she's still there thank you to my asshole for sticking with me through everything i've done to you <laughs> oh god why do i me, say like, these the... things publicly <laughs> Love it, love it. Thank you to my public, a public thank you to my asshole. Yeah, that um, might be my book that I finally write. Yeah. <laughs> love it. <laughs> a public apology to my asshole. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear beauty and more save on kate spade new york stuart weitzman and ted baker london great brands great prices so shop your nordstrom rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just thirty dollars 
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So, tell, talk to me about how you actually found your way out of it, right? We've talked about the problems, we've talked about the hope of like mass recovery. Can I ask mm. how you personally, yeah. was it therapy, was it support systems was it what did you do because it's a fucking major eating disorder you were struggling like several different eating disorders you were struggling with yeah it was it was a bit of everything honestly and I you know for years I really envied people that would go to therapy and have a few sessions you know have 10 sessions of therapy and and get out of it but it just wasn't the case for me and there was no like light bulb moment you know people often say to me like what was the like the pivotal moment or the light bulb moment and there just wasn't one it was like it was years and years, and I know this This is not a sexy answer, but it was years of tiny, imperceptible bits of progress that stacked up to form real progress, basically. And lots of ups and downs and backwards and forwards. And, you know, the cliche recovery isn't linear, like, couldn't apply to me more. It was, I was all over the place and it was chaos until at, at some point I realised that I was actually... Um, you know, a lot better, you know, not better, (laughs) not fully recovered, but a lot better than I was. Um, And it was, I was so lucky to be able to be able to access therapy so quickly and also for so long, because again, you know, the NHS here, and I think it's, I think it's the same in the States. I'm not entirely sure, but it's very difficult to access therapy here. Your BMI has to be, you know, through the floor. It has to be like life-threateningly low Mm. and even then you'll only get a session of 12 CBT sessions so I was really lucky that with through my work I was able to access long-term therapy and it was that and um, learning about diet culture honestly I I really do think that that was extremely powerful for me I'm a very I'm a person I'm a very literal person I like to get to the bottom of everything and if I don't fully understand something it's not clear in my head and that's what it always felt like for me until I really got to understand diet culture and read as up about it and as a system yeah, yeah. and like realizing and understanding that it, this has been taught to me I didn't I wasn't born hating my body this has been taught to me and if it's been taught to me I can I can de- if it, if I've if I've been conditioned I can decondition myself and that thought was powerful. I think you've raised a good point there when you're talking about the fact that it wasn't some big light bulb recovery like I didn't have a big light bulb recovery. Mine was just going over kind of years of gaining a bit of weight and realizing the world didn't end. And then a bit of weight yeah. and the world didn't end and then a yeah. lot of weight and the world still didn't end and then a bit more weight and like still had a you know had a good love life and still had yeah. friends and still had and a, job. a job and I was like oh shit they told me the world was gonna end and that I was gonna die if I did this right. if I disobeyed and actually yeah. I'm happier than ever and healthier than ever yeah and so it's okay if you just start today it's okay if you just have that piece of toast that you've been denying yourself and that's all you do today. It's okay if this is a slow incremental progress totally. because because I think if you set yourself those little manageable goals, you're so much more likely to achieve this. It's very hard to undo something that's been with you for 5 years, 3 years, 10 years, 20 years to just do that overnight. It's a it's a it's like it diet culture rewires our brain mm. and social media literally rewires our brain. And so right. don't 
take for granted how intense that is to overcome tiny tiny incremental changes and within a year you can beat it or two years or whatever that's still better than 30 or 40 years carrying this around with you in the future Right, exactly. So, and, and I never want to be discouraging and say, you know, it took me so long and it was painful and it was awful. It was this because it was, it is, and you'll agree with me, it's like the hands down the best thing that I've ever done for myself. I literally freed myself of this, this mental prison, which is exactly what it felt like, just a, a prison. So, you know, and it's not all, it's not all extremely painful. You know, you have the, you have, as you're going through the recovery, the ups and the downs and don't, the, it's so easy to say, don't compare yourself to anyone else. But for anyone who is on this journey, whether it's just recovering from, an, uh, from, you know, dieting, from being a chronic dieter or disordered eating or eating disorder, whatever, don't compare yourself to anybody else because everyone else is, everyone is so incredibly different. They've had different upbringings, different environments, their brains are wired differently their conditioning has been so varied different genetics you just you just can't but like this is your journey and I keep saying journey for lack of a better word but I've decided I'm reclaiming it I'm reclaiming reclaiming the word journey (laughs) because I can't think of a better word so there you go journey (laughs) but this is this is your journey and take it as slow as you like and like it's great to see people embracing their body on social media and being you know showing off their body and that's brilliant but that doesn't that doesn't have to be you you know you don't have to get to that place where you want to strut around naked. I almost like, never show my body like at all on social media right. like almost it's, it's always it's mostly just pictures of my dog let's be real or other people's dogs but <laughs> I'm just like I just don't want to think about it I don't want to look at my body like and that's okay and look look am I the yeah. pinna- am I the pinnacle of recovery no do I still struggle with like we've got one now long mirror in the house because James is like six foot eight literally and he would like to see if his like <laughs> trousers actually fit his body but we've only got one in our entire house it's a house for four right. or five people like who all live together and I managed to avoid just looking at anything really more than just my face and if I've got like actual yeah. like chocolate stains which always look like poo uh, on my clothes <laughs> but other than that like I just don't want to I just don't want to look at it I don't want to deal with it I no, try and avoid it at all costs you don't have to, you know, and I see a lot of advice around like, don't hide your body in baggy clothing. But if that's where you are right now, yes. if you feel like that's what you need to do to go out and survive and tackle the day and do your job and whatever, then you do that. Like you wear the baggy clothing, you you just do what you can to I always like, look like a member of day. I always look like a member of the Talking Heads, which are a very old band, even before our time, where <laughs> they wore like ginormous suits and had tiny little pinheads. Like that's yeah. what I look like most of the time because I just don't want to think about yeah. it. I don't want anyone to talk about it. And until yeah. we get to a place where we're not talking about people's bodies, right. which would be the next pinnacle, then I right. would like to just do things that more, more of the time than not distract or take away yeah. from, you know, and hopefully what I hope yeah. is that I can look in a mirror and just not feel anything. And I hope that I will right. still, I know I've still got recovery to do in the dysmorphia yeah. area, but mm. let me be some hope to you that there is like happiness and success on the other side of this and let Alex do the same and all the people that we signal boost on our channels and you know go and try out this book and see if Mm. it makes you feel seen and heard and hopeful and you know I like to always end these these podcast Mm. episodes on hope and hearing about your recovery and that it is long but it is doable is super hopeful and and where do you think we go from here? Is my final kind of question. 
And I, I want to, I really want to stress as well to, you know, people listening because weight gain, which is often a big part of recovery, is the most terrifying thing ever. And I thought, like you said, weight gain would be the end of the world. But I, I say this phrase all the time and I just think it's so powerful is that weight gain is okay. Like I promise you it's okay. And if you can really, rather than shrug that off and think, well, not for me, it's not for me and I can't do it. I, I just can't accept it. If you can really lean into that and explore that, I think that's powerful. And maybe right now it might not do anything but sow a seed of doubt in your mind, but let it and if you can nurture that and try and and yeah lean, lean into that do do I really need to be thin is it really not okay for me to gain weight and often at the at the root of that you'll find that it it is and I can tell you as someone sitting here who has gained a lot of weight since mm-hmm. my recovery it is I'm the happiest I've ever been I'm you know I'm the the like I'm the happiest the healthiest like the most mentally clear I just feel like I've got a grasp on my life that I never had I feel like I'm finally in control rather than that very false sense of control that my eating disorder gave me I feel like I'm finally I'm in control of my own life it's not perfect by any means I'm not sitting here saying like I've got the best life ever but it's just I promise you it's okay to gain weight that is like something like I'd really like to leave everyone with. I love that. I love that. And also one of the best things for me was trying to find the feeling of rebellion in allowing my body to not yeah, look quote yeah. unquote picture perfect. Right. Like, was allowing the lumps and bumps to exist and being like, my doing this means I didn't do the things that were obedient. And that feels right. like a good fuck you to those people. Yeah who want to profit off my pain and my imprisonment. That's exactly it. Profit off your pain. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, Alex, uh, before you go, hopefully you've heard this podcast before. So you know that when I ask you what you weigh, I don't mean literally. (laughs) (laughs) So I uh, am going to end this episode by asking you, what do you weigh? You know, I used to be, and people will know when you go into eating disorder recovery, they say, they draw a pie chart, the therapist, and say, like, your values, how much of that is how you look and what you weigh. And for me, when I first went in, like, that was 90%. And I felt like that was my whole personality. It was my whole identity. It was how I looked, what I weighed, how thin I was. And now it's, it's, amazing to to realize and to acknowledge that I'm actually like a multifaceted person with you know and I can be good at stuff and I'm I'm you know like a good a good sister and a good wife and uh, a good daughter and I'm you know I can it sounds really weird to say that I can be like good at stuff. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but I always used to think the only thing that I could be good at was like losing weight and being thin. I was actually good at stuff and I didn't know because I was just concentrating on failing at being emaciated. Right, exactly. And and when you uh, when when your headspace you know opens up and you expand all of this and and so yeah, I, I weigh a ton, an absolute ton of different stuff, and that is like one of the best things about recovery is knowing that and knowing that there's way more yeah, to me. You gain more than just weight; you gain your life back, a life yeah, that you didn't exactly. even know you'd ever be able to have. Yeah, um, and a person. Yeah. Exactly. Alex, thank you so much for coming on and and good luck with your book that comes out this week. I feel very lucky to be able to chat to you now and and carry on with all the wonderful work because you're helping people everywhere. 
Thank you so much, Jamila. I appreciate your support so much. Thank you. And keep on with your good work. I've loved it for a long time. So yeah, keep at it. I will. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh my openness and my fucking loud mouth and my love of my sister. And I weigh my relationship with my kids and my society as much as I can't stand it half the time. And I weigh my rebellious attitude and protesting nature. Thank you for doing this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.